Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. So this idea of being a priesthood, I want to talk about that first. And I I don't know any other way to do it except to give a little bit of history of the priesthood. Going way, way back into Exodus, it was God's desire that all of the nation of Israel would be priests. In Exodus 19.6, he said, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And he's speaking to the whole nation. The whole nation was to be a kingdom of priests. Well, the people, um, I don't know if rebelled is the right word, but they just reacted in fear and they didn't pursue God's call for them. And they, in fact, when they came to the mountain that God was speaking to them, they said to Moses, I mean, these are tragic words. They said, we can't hear him. You go hear him for us, and then you come and tell us what he said. And what they did was they broke that sense of being a priesthood before God. They, They broke that ability to stand before God as a priesthood. And so God raised up the one tribe of Levi, and out of that one tribe then came the priesthood. And so the priesthood was lost. Well, when the New Testament came, we really saw the priesthood regained because in the early church, and really for the first 300 years, but the first 100 years for sure, I mean, it was everybody shared in the ministry. In fact, this past week in our small group, in our life group, we talked about Romans 15, 14, where he said, I'm convinced that you are full of goodness and, and full of knowledge and able to admonish one another. And he was convinced that they were capable of doing ministry, that they were capable of being shepherds together. Now, the early church did have leadership. It had, it had elders. It had bishops, and don't let the word bishop throw you, it just means overseer, it was basically like a local church pastor, and they had deacons, and those people did serve, they did lead, but the whole church engaged in the ministry, the whole church engaged in the ministry, and so it was like, wow, the priesthood had been regained, we, we regained what we lost, and now everybody's serving, and everybody's worshiping, and everybody's praying, and, and everybody is ministering as a priesthood. Yes. Well, tragically, that got lost again. By the, by the year 400 or so, even into the 300s, we had this shift that started taking place. And part of it was because of, I mean, there were a lot of uneducated people. A lot of people couldn't read or write. And, and, they, and you had people begin to rise to leadership and, and they became basically guardians of the truth. Okay. And they, and, but, but that shifted. And the guardians of the truth became, now this is tragic to me, they became dispensers of grace. Mm. And we had this shift 
from everybody doing ministry. Yeah, you had leaders, but everybody did ministry. We had this shift by the middle 300s, 400 for sure, where you now had the priesthood. And it was not the priesthood of all the believers. You had the pastors who became priests. And priests were people who stood, we got to get this, they stood in the place of God before the people. They stood as if they were God before the people. And the people no longer could go straight to God. They had to go to that representative of God who then went to God for them. And that became the model for hundreds of years. You had the priesthood and you had the common people and that's really where we get this whole term layman, which means uneducated masses. So you don't want to be a layman, right? <laughs> so, so layman, uneducated masses, you had the division between the priesthood and the layman, the uneducated masses. And, and for hundreds of years, that was the model. And it just kind of continued to evolve. Actually, I would use the word devolve. It devolved to where you would come and they would just give you the, the Eucharist and that was the dispension of grace and that's all it took and then now you were saved and now you were good and just go on and live your life. And, and that's all the relationship you have with God. Well, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg, and he started the Reformation. And the Reformation was a lot of things. It was a recapturing of salvation by grace. It was solo scriptura, that we had to have the authority of the scriptures as opposed to the authority of the church. But also a huge part, at least doctrinally so, was a regaining of the priesthood of all believers. They were reacting against the priesthood. And I, I never like to come across as if I'm bad-mouthing any other church. I, that's a value of mine that I don't do that. But, but it was a reaction against the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church. And so it was this recapturing of the priesthood of all believers. So look at your neighbor and say, you're a priest. <laughs> so we, we're priests. We're priests. We're members of the priesthood. We're a holy priesthood. Well, I agree that the Reformation at least technically restored the priesthood of all believers to the church. I don't know really how much it actually took place. Because when I was a pastor for 30 years, my greatest battle was helping people realize, and I don't know that I ever actually succeeded, at least on a large scale, that, that there is not two tears in the kingdom of God. <laughs> 
that it wasn't, I'm the pastor and you're not. Now, I appreciate our pastors. But they don't have, they're not on a special level above everybody else. We're, we're all equal in the kingdom of God. Well, that also means equal responsibility, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so that's what I want to talk about, is recapturing not only theoretically, but in essence, what it means to be a holy priesthood. Yeah, a holy priesthood. So let's talk about the word holy for a minute. Consecrated is, is um, that's why I'm doing this message, because it's a series on consecration. <laughs> um, consecrated to be holy means to, to have, it actually has two components to it. One is, is to be emptied of everything in our lives that goes against the holiness of God. So I know we live in an age of grace and we live in the day of the message of grace and the minute you start talking about any kind of responsibility, it seems like people get their hackles up. Like, wow, we can't talk about responsibility. Well, let me just tell you, there's responsibility in holiness. And there is, Ephesians 4 says, lay aside Lay aside your old man. Lay it aside. And so there is holiness involves, to be a holy priesthood involves setting aside those parts of our life that, that is contrary to the holiness of God. And it's not my place to tell you what to set aside. I think that, and we talked about this on Wednesday, uh, yeah, Wednesday night in our life group, it, you know, we don't, we don't want to impose church rules as if that is holiness. Come on. So we have to be careful, but there is, there are requirements of holiness. Yeah. And the scriptures will guide you. <laughs> it's not my place to guide you. If you have questions, be glad to answer them, but, but the scriptures will guide you. And then holiness, on the other hand, is taking on being lost in the holiness of God, where our whole being is consumed with the holiness of God. So first it's laying aside... And it goes back to Ephesians 4, lay aside the old man, put on the new man, created in Christ Jesus, right? And so we put on this new man. So it, holiness is putting off and it's putting on. Now, in, in 1 Peter, if you just flip back one, one chapter to the first 
to the second verse, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. So the point there is that our, our efforts in holiness are not our own efforts. We trust in the blood of Jesus that sets us free. How does that work, Pastor? I just really don't know. (laughs) I just know that when I come to God and I come because of my faith in the blood of Christ, He does miraculous things in my life. Amen? Yeah. He just... It just happens. I, yes. I can't explain it. I'm not even going to try to explain it. I just know the holy, that God, the, the blood of Jesus cleanses me. Amen. And that becomes a positional thing. I am cleansed and I am positionally clean before God. But I'm sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So now I'm positionally clean, but now I also have this active, empowering work of the Spirit of God inside of me to help me walk it out. Amen? Yeah. So I'm positionally clean, but I am empowered by the Spirit to walk it out. And that makes me holy. (laughs) That makes me holy. And I'm not only holy, but I'm a priest. And so are you. So let's just talk about the priesthood for a moment. The priesthood, of course, we talked about the fact that it was the Levites were raised up. They became the priesthood. And, and the priesthood was responsible for a number of things. So I want you to pay attention to this because we're going to transition to the new covenant. And if we're consecrated, we're consecrated for a particular purpose. You have a job to do, right? So we're going to talk about the job that we have to do as a holy priesthood. We have a job to do. So the old covenant priests, they did several things. I mean, they sought God for guidance. One of the mysteries of the Bible is the Urim and the Thummim. (laughs) Have you figured that out? (laughs) I mean, the Urim and the Thummim, I don't know what they are. I just think, what? is the Urim and the Thummim. But there are two stones and they got guidance somehow with the Urim and somebody probably knows and you can, and you can tell me after church. I <laughs> would love to find out. But I don't know what they are. But I just know that by them, the priests were able to get guidance and direction. So the priests were involved in getting guidance and direction. The priests were involved in teaching the Torah the law. In fact, a couple of revivals, Hezekiah, Josiah, and maybe other revivals, but those revivals under kings, they would send priests. And I, when I read this, I just get so excited. I think, I wish I could have been one of those priests because they would travel from town to town and they would teach the law. That just sounds exciting. <laughs> it may not excite you, but it makes me feel excited. Like, whoa, that was so cool. <laughs> so yeah, traveling from town to town and teaching the law. 
and, and they taught law. And, but, but I think what we really think of when we think of the priests, when we think of them offering sacrifices, yeah. right? That's what we really think of. We think of them offering sacrifices and burnt offerings. And the sacrifices were, well, they were actually a lot of different things, but you could basically categorize them down into two things. First of all, it was worship. So it was an expression of worship. They were worshiping God. Now hang on to that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And it was also prayer. It was intercession. They were standing before God and interceding for the nation. And so the offerings were sacrifices that were expressing worship to God and they were also interceding for the nation. So what about the New Testament priesthood? Well, we don't have, we're not killing any lambs today, so what are we, so what are we doing? What, what's going on? Well, first of all, let me say this about the New Testament priesthood. I believe that God has called the church to stand before him on behalf of the entire world. He called the tribe of Levi out of the nation of Israel to stand before him for that nation. But now he's called the church out of the world to stand before him for the world. That we stand before God. And that, a purpose... We have a purpose. We are purposed to stand before God on behalf of all the world. So it says that the, um, you're called to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we don't, we don't slaughter lambs and goats and bulls anymore. So what do we do? So he says to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So what are the sacrifices that we offer? Well, first of all, Romans 12 verse 1 says we offer up our own lives. That my first sacrifice to God has to be myself. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. 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 God looks at you, and he looks at the sacrifice that you offer him as a holy sacrifice. Acceptable. Our worship was holy today. It was acceptable to God. Good job today, Josh. Great job. It was acceptable to God. We offer ourselves. And that's where it starts. Amen? Amen. That's the first sacrifice. God, I, I give you myself today. Hallelujah. You, you do with me what you want. I'm yours. I, I'm a living sacrifice. I belong to you. I don't belong to myself. 
I'm yours. Amen? For living sacrifices. The next sacrifice we offer, Hebrews 13, 15, says that we offer up the sacrifice of praise. We offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips. So let me talk about that for a moment. I, uh, I was taught in my training not to close my eyes and get lost in worship, but I was taught to watch the congregation. Well, I never have done that. <laughs> when worship starts, I'm done, right? <laughs> I'm lost in worship. And, you know, nobody else in the room might be worshiping. I don't have a clue what's going on. I mean, I, so I don't know. Um, but I feel like we're a worshiping congregation. Yeah, feels like we're a worshiping congregation, and that's a good thing. Yes. Because here's, here is the deal. Worship, okay, I want you to get this, right? Worship is your job. Yes. Yes. Worship is your job. Amen. We've been called for a particular purpose. Yes. And as a priest... Your job is to worship. That's so good. Yeah. Amen? Your job is to worship. Yes. That's what you do. You worship. We offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. <laughs> we sing. We speak. We bow. We clap. We raise our hands. We kneel. All expressing our worship to the Lord. All expressing our worship. So if you ever wonder, I can set the record straight, your job is to worship, right? It's not Pastor Emily's job. Her job is to help us worship. But your job is to worship. That's our job. And it's our job every day. So I just encourage you that you would learn to take a few moments at home, raise your hands, and worship the Lord. Yeah. Just, it, it will change the atmosphere of your home. It will change the atmosphere of your home. So, it, it's been a long time since I felt this particular thing that used to. My wife and I have been married almost 40 years, so we, we've, we've learned to get along pretty <laughs> We've learned to get along pretty well, but... but yeah, but there have been seasons when things get tense and get tight, and I realize any time that has happened, I realize I have not been the priest of my home. Come on. And so I have to repent, number one. And then number two, I, have to, I just walk through the house worshiping the Lord, hands raised, worshiping him, offering up a sacrifice of praise, and it changes the atmosphere. It just does every time. We are worshipers. 
But the very next verse, Hebrews 13, 16, talks about two other sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And they are doing good and sharing. (laughs) You don't believe me, do you? Let me read it. (laughs) Oh, it's up there. Do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices... God is well pleased. Doing good. Bringing canned goods. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a sacrifice that God is well pleased with. Yes. <clears throat> Going and serving. Or serving here. That, those are sacrifices that yes. God is well pleased with. Those yes. sacrifices. Amen. We do good and we share. <laughs> and that, that sacrifice... And God's well pleased with it. And then the last sacrifice, I want to read this. In Revelation chapter 5, this is powerful. Well, I think it's powerful. Verse 8. No, actually, I'm going to go to chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Revelation 8, 3 and 4. Yeah, thank you. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. Where? Read it with me. Upon the golden altar. What what do we do at altars? We sacrifice. We sacrifice. Upon... The golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So, what what are the sacrifices that we offer? Well, first we offer ourselves. Then we offer praise. Then we offer doing good and sharing. And we offer prayer. Now, let's wrap it up. So prayer as the priesthood involves standing before God for the world. Standing before God for the world. Let me just make a comment about that. I, um, I realized at some point, and I don't remember when it was, but I re- realized at some point, I was a pastor and... and um, I realized that about 80% of my prayer time went for my church. Maybe 98%. <laughs> a lot of it went for my church. I prayed a little bit for my family. And once in a while, I would pray for the leaders of my country and all of that. And I don't remember when it even happened, but God convicted me of that. And, and I realized that I was a priest for the world, not just for North Peak Church. Yes. Okay? And, and it was a convicting moment. So, I, so for me, you, you're going to think I'm weird, but, but this is the only way it works for me. So I set aside days of the week. So Tuesday, we always vote on Tuesday, so I made Tuesday my day to pray for the nation. So Tuesday morning, I pray for the nation. Yes. I mean, I travail for the nation. 
And then on Wednesday morning, I pray for the world. Well, that's a pretty big assignment. <laughs> but some mornings I may pray for missionaries. This is going to sound really weird, but several years ago, I got totally burdened for North Korea. I just was crying out to God for the people of North Korea. I just kept thinking, those people don't want what they've got. So I started crying out to God for North Korea. So that, I went through that, and, and I, you know, it's just different. And I don't say all that to, I'm not saying that to boast. Y'all don't think I am, right? So, so all right, very good. So, I mean, just, but I, so it just varies. I mean, I don't know what it's going to, and I don't really plan it. It just, I just know I'm going to pray for the world. Another thing is, I realize I really need to be a priest for my family. And so, so I pray for my wife every day. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> and I pray for my daughters every day, too. And so, but on Friday, I spend time, I have a very big family, and, I, and my father's not a believer. Well, Anyhow, that's a long story, but <laughs> so, um, so I just feel, and I'm the oldest, and so I feel, I just felt a responsibility to pray for my family. So I travail before God for my siblings and my nephews and my nieces, and I mean, I just pray for my family. So, so I, so my whole reason for sharing that is just for the practicality of it. What, what does it look like to be a priest? Well, I think that's, that's one way it could look. That's how it looks for me. It could look differently for you. But, but we have the responsibility to stand before God for the world. That, what does it mean to be the priesthood? It's not just a neat saying oh, wow, man. we believe in the priesthood of all the believers. Oh, wow, that's really cool. What's that mean, man? I don't have a clue, but it is so cool. Right? <laughs> no, it means something. Yes. It means something. It has responsibility that goes with it. And so my prayer is that we can, we can start thinking about ourselves as, and I'm going to contradict myself in a moment, as priests, that you can think of yourself as a priest. But it really doesn't say you are a collection of priests. It says you are a priesthood. And so what I want to say about that, then I'm going to be done, is that we together, there's something about being a priesthood we're together as a priesthood before God. That together we stand before God. Now we do it individually. We have individual prayer. But, but there is something very powerful about coming together. I mean, I worship God every day. But there's something powerful about coming together and worshiping God with you on Sunday morning. Yeah. And I think the same thing goes for prayer. And the, I just pray that 
our largest gatherings are going to be when Sister Yolanda calls prayer. That'll be our largest gatherings. Like, whoa, prayer. We're excited to get there for prayer. Hallelujah. And we're going to stand before God. Stand before God on behalf of the world. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.